Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you in the wee hours of July 8th, 2023. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Well, uh, for starters, I feel compelled to do something rather sophomoric, which may result in litigation. I hope the counter vortex isn't going to get sued over this, but I guess there's only one way to find out. I'm a Barbie girl in a geopolitical world. Life on a chessboard. Let's see which side scored. If there's a nine-dash line in Beijing, they're feeling fine. But in Hanoi, they're so annoyed. Come on, Barbie, let's go party, but not in Vietnam. <clears throat> Get it? In Hanoi, they're annoyed. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay, now we've got that out of the way. In case you haven't heard, the new Warner Brothers movie, A Barbie, yes, based on the famous fashion doll, has been banned in Vietnam because it briefly displays a world map visible for a minute instant in the trailer, a completely whimsical, highly stylized, inaccurate world map that appears to show the notorious nine-dash line demarcating China's unilaterally claimed territory in the South China Sea, including several islands that are also claimed by Vietnam, as well as other islands which are claimed by the Philippines, Taiwan, Malaysia, and Brunei. But it is supposedly communist Vietnam, which is all upset about it, and apparently most jealous of its territorial claims against supposedly communist China. Yes, really, the Barbie movie is embroiled in a geopolitical dispute. That popping sound you hear, that double popping sound, is neoliberal and tanky heads exploding simultaneously. Oops, maybe, contrary to the neoliberal dogma, the world isn't so flat after all. Maybe corporate globalization doesn't smooth over all conflict. I think that thesis has been disproven for at least a generation now. And the tankies are, of course, in an embarrassed silence over this. But you can practically hear what they're thinking. Those irksome Vietnamese being angry at Chinese instead of U.S. imperialism. How inconvenient. They're supposed to be united with China against U.S. imperialism. I guess we're just going to have to ignore this one. All very amusing, but perversely amusing. So this gives me the opportunity to break down a controversy that I've been following for some time. It first bubbled up into the headlines in August 2012, when China began to set up a military garrison on disputed Yangxing Island, also known as Woody Island, and to the Vietnamese as Dao Phu Lam, in the Shisha chain, also known as the Paracels. 
China also created a city administration for the island, which had theretofore had few permanent inhabitants. This sparked diplomatic protest from both the United States and Vietnam, which also claimed the island and much of the rest of the Paracels. Beijing responded by dismissing Vietnam's claims as a recent invention. I quote from the uh, August 9, 2012 editorial in China Daily, quote, For ages, China has explored and tapped the entire aforementioned areas in the South China Sea, and successive Chinese governments have ruled over various parts of the islands and waters for more than 10 centuries. This met with no international objection until a couple of decades ago. Till the 1970s, Hanoi agreed repeatedly and officially in various written and verbal forms with China on Chinese sovereignty over the Shisha Islands. It was only after the 1970s, after Vietnam was united, that it started to negate its previous statements. There may be disputes on sovereignty over the overlapping waters off the continental shelf between a country or countries ringing the South China Sea. However, there was no dispute between them and China over the islands and islets of the South China Sea until the 1970s, end quote. And I acknowledge that they had a point. There is indeed a very obvious irony here. Of course, back in the 60s, when Hanoi needed China's aid in the war against the Americans, it wasn't going to make a big deal over claims to the South China Sea. After the war, fear of being reduced to Chinese suzerainty prompted Hanoi to line up with Moscow in the Sino-Soviet split, and such claims became politically permissible. By 2012, Hanoi's fear of China remained, but the reduced Russians were no longer a significant factor in the region, while the U.S. was beefing up its military presence in the Asia-Pacific sphere. So Vietnam has been naturally, if paradoxically, tilting to the U.S., even, dare we say it, being drawn into the U.S. orbit to a certain extent. India's Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis, IDSA, linked to New Delhi's defense ministry, saw a resource grab as the agenda behind China's move, exploiting terms of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS. I quote from their study released at the time, quote, as per Article 121 of UNCLOS, an island would have to sustain human habitation or economic life in order to have an exclusive economic zone, while the limited land mass of Yangxing may not be able to sustain any such activity. The proximity of rich fishing grounds and potential oil fields would prompt China to stake a claim for the island's maritime zones and territorial sea, as per Article 121. End quote. On December 6, 2012, just to make things a little more obvious, 
Beijing officially told Vietnam to halt oil exploration activities in disputed areas of the South China Sea and to not harass Chinese fishing boats, accusing Vietnamese forces of expelling Chinese fishing vessels from waters in the area. Hanoi responded by saying a Vietnamese ship had a seismic cable it was pulling cut in two by two Chinese fishing ships, sparking the confrontation. Now, as this dispute was reignited, there had recently been anti-China protests in Japan and anti-Japan protests in China over the similar dispute over the archipelago in the East China Sea, known to the Japanese as the Senkaku Islands and to the Chinese as the Diao Islands. And now, of course, anti-China protests broke out in Vietnam. Now, in the anti-Japan protest in China, we wondered how much of it was genuinely spontaneous and how much, contrary to official appearances, was state-instrumented. The signals were even harder to read in Vietnam, where several people were actually arrested in anti-China protests in downtown Hanoi. On December 8, 2012, protesters shouted, Down with China! and carried banners bearing the words, quote, China's military expansion threatens world peace and security, end quote. They attempted to march on the Chinese embassy before being dispersed by the police, with several detained. And there was a similar rally held that day in Ho Chi Minh City. So had the regime's anti-China propaganda and exploitation of hopes for an oil bonanza to lift Vietnam out of poverty created something that had now gotten a little out of control? Or were even the arrests part of a choreographed game? All this was going down as Xi Jinping had just taken over in China and the outgoing Hu Jintao, in one of his last speeches in November 2012, had called for the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, to update its technological abilities, saying its most important task was to be able to, quote, win a local war in an information age, end quote. And if China were to get into a local war with, say, Vietnam, would it stay local, that is, confined to powers within the sphere of East and Southeast Asia? In fact, would there even be any question about China winning unless another great power got involved? So, not very difficult to read between the lines here, very unsettling. And obviously there's been a lot of media attention recently on the dispute over the Taiwan Strait between the People's Republic of China and Taiwan. But this um, conflict with uh, this dispute with Vietnam continues to simmer. Getting back to the narrative, on um, January 19th, 2014, 
Some 100 anti-China protesters gathered in Hanoi to mark the 40th anniversary of the brief naval battle between China and then South Vietnam, in which China seized the Paracel Islands. The protest was broken up by police after about a half an hour, but it is telling that it was tolerated for that long in usually tightly controlled Vietnam. We can imagine this memory put the regime in an awkward place. As the AP report noted at the time, quote, the 1974 battle, in which 74 South Vietnamese soldiers died, followed China's occupation of the Paracel Islands. It's especially sensitive because the North Vietnamese government didn't counter the Chinese move or even acknowledge that force was used. At the time, Beijing was giving North Vietnam arms and money to fight the U.S. and South Vietnam, end quote. And just days later, in January 2014, China held a three-ship landing exercise in the Paracel Islands, including an amphibious landing craft and two destroyers. The next outburst was in May 2014, when several Chinese-owned factories were set on fire by protesters at industrial parks in southern Vietnam's Binh Duong province. At least 200 people were arrested over the violence. The riots were sparked as China moved a drilling rig into waters also claimed by Vietnam. Vietnam accused China of massing 80 vessels, including naval ships, to back the oil operation off the Paracel Islands. And Hanoi released video footage to back its claim that Chinese ships had rammed Vietnamese vessels. In April 2015, you may recall, there was a very unsettling incident involving the United States. The Chinese Navy issued warnings eight times as a U.S. surveillance plane swooped over the Spratly Islands. It all seems like it was a little scripted. A CNN crew was conveniently on board the U.S. Poseidon spy plane and now famously heard the radio message, quote, This is the Chinese Navy. This is the Chinese Navy. Please go away to avoid misunderstanding, end quote. China lodged a diplomatic complaint over the incident, and CNN quoted a Chinese military spokesman charging that the overflight was done to, quote, dramatize regional tensions and to find an excuse for a certain country to take actions in the future, end quote. Very subtle. The next month, in May 2015, a Vietnamese fishing crew said they were attacked by a Chinese vessel using a water cannon near the Paracel Islands. In a separate incident, another Vietnamese fishing boat in the same area was surrounded by four Chinese vessels and had its equipment and catch seized, according to Vietnam's state media. Then, in July 2015, it became very obvious that Vietnam was 
tilting to the U.S. in the new Cold War with China. Another want the file under life's little ironies. Vietnam's Communist Party boss, Goyen Phu Trang, the country's paramount leader, met with President Obama at the White House, a first coming exactly 20 years after U.S.-Hanoi diplomatic relations were restored. The Washington Post flatly stated that Obama was, quote, seeking to reconfigure a historically difficult relationship with Vietnam into a strategic partnership against China. White House officials said Hanoi has been signaling interest in forging deeper economic and military ties with the United States, end quote. Not at all coincidentally, Trong's visit came as tensions were again rising in the South China Sea. Just as Trong arrived in Washington, China's ambassador to the Philippines, Zhao Jianhua, announced that Beijing would not participate in hearings before the UN Permanent Court of Arbitration, PCA, at The Hague over disputed islands that the Philippines said China had annexed illegally under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS. China stated that the PCA lacked jurisdiction. The case was triggered by an incident in which Chinese vessels blocked the Philippine Navy from arresting Chinese fishermen for alleged illegal fishing activities within the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. And this was just as China had undertaken so-called island-building projects in seven reefs and atolls of the disputed Spratly Islands. In what I believe is a parallel history to that of the Paracels, Vietnam claims the Spratlys had been under its control since the 17th century, but they were seized by China in World War II when Vietnam was under joint Vichy-Japanese occupation. After the war, the colonial French drove off the Chinese and reestablished control, but Vietnam apparently did little to hold the archipelago subsequently, and China has been in effective control of most of the islands for some 30 years. The situation is further complicated by Manila's claims, yet other claimants, Malaysia, Brunei, and the de facto two China's situation, Itu Aba, the biggest island in the Spratlys, is held by Taiwan. In October 2015, there was another near skirmish as a U.S. warship sailed within 12 nautical miles of one of Beijing's artificial islands in the Spratly Archipelago, the PLA Naval Command issued a statement saying, quote, if the United States continues with these kinds of dangerous provocative acts, there could well be a seriously pressing situation between frontline forces from both sides on the sea and in the air or even a minor incident that sparks war, end quote. And then in May 2016, Obama visited Hanoi 
to announce that the U.S. was lifting its arms embargo on Vietnam, quote, ending one of the last legal vestiges of the Vietnam War, unquote, as the New York Times put it. On July 12, 2016, the Permanent Court of Arbitration ruled in favor of the Philippines, finding that none of the Spratly Islands are, quote, capable of generating extended maritime zones, end quote, and that the disputed sea areas are, quote, within the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines, end quote. The ruling further found that China had violated the Philippines' sovereign rights in the disputed zone by interfering with fishing and oil exploration, building artificial islands, and failing to prevent Chinese fleets from fishing in the zone. It particularly accused China of improperly restricting Philippine fishing rights at Scarborough Shoal, adding that China had seriously risked collision when its patrol boats physically obstructed Philippine fishing vessels. China denied the arbitration court's jurisdiction in the matter and rejected the ruling. The ruling also implicitly dealt a blow to Taiwan's similar claim to territory within an 11-dash line. Taiwan's new president, Tsai Ing-wen, responded to the PCA ruling by dispatching a frigate into the South China Sea and personally reviewing the sailors on board before it embarked. Okay, this brings us to the whole question of the notorious dashed lines. The nine-dash line encircles most of the South China Sea, running some 2,000 kilometers from the Chinese mainland to within a few hundred kilometers of the Philippines, Malaysia, and Vietnam. It first appeared on Chinese maps as an 11-dash line in 1947 as the naval forces of the then Republic of China took control of several islands that had been occupied by Japan during World War II. After the People's Republic of China was established in 1949 and Republic of China forces fled to Taiwan, Beijing declared itself the sole legitimate sovereign over China and inherited all ROC, Republic of China, maritime claims. But two dashes were removed in the 1950s to bypass the Gulf of Tonkin in deference to communist North Vietnam. But, of course, Taiwan, still technically the Republic of China, continues to claim all territory within the 11-dash line, I assume, although they certainly haven't been as aggressive and obnoxious about it as Beijing has. Beijing tightened its grip in the northern part of the claimed waters in the 1970s after it expelled the South Vietnamese Navy from the Paracel Islands in 1974, as previously noted, seven out of about 200 reefs in the Spratly Islands came under Chinese control in the 1980s and 90s, and Scarborough Shoal in 2012. Vietnam continues to control the largest number of islands, or rocks and reefs, as the case may be, in the Spratlys, totaling 29. 
and other claimants to areas of the disputed waters, as noted earlier, include Malaysia and Brunei. Under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS, a nation has sovereignty over waters extending 12 nautical miles from its coast and exclusive economic control 200 nautical miles out. And Beijing maintains it has historical claims to the maritime territory dating from well before the UNCLOS came into force in 1982. Editorials in China's Global Times, ahead of the arbitration court ruling, pointed to a U.S. hand behind the case, of course. Quote, Washington has deployed two carrier battle groups around the South China Sea, and it wants to send a signal by flexing its muscles. As the biggest powerhouse in the region, it awaits China's obedience. End quote. The editorial openly called for China to be prepared for a military confrontation with the U.S., saying, quote, it should be able to let the U.S. pay a cost it cannot stand if it intervenes in the South China Sea dispute by force, end quote. A commentary in China Daily by Zhu Feng, director of the China Center for Collaborative Studies at Nanjing University, charged that, quote, the Beijing-Manila dispute is being used as a bargaining chip in a strategic contest between the major powers in the Asia-Pacific region, end quote. And in an unsubtle message, China also conducted military exercises around the Paracel Islands in the days leading up to the ruling. In August 2017, Vietnam terminated a gas drilling expedition in a disputed area of the South China Sea. Following strong threats from China, the company behind the drilling, Repsol of Spain, was ordered to leave the area only days after it had confirmed the existence of a major gas field. The Vietnamese call the region Block 13603 and had leased it to a Repsol subsidiary called Talisman Vietnam. China calls it Wanan Bay 21, and had leased the same piece of seabed to a different company, reported to be Bright Oil of Hong Kong, whose board includes members of the Chinese Communist Party. Within the space of a few days in March 2018, two rather ironic anniversaries were marked in Vietnam, revealing much about shifting alliances over the past generations. On March 16, 1968, U.S. troops killed at least 500 villagers at the village of My Lai, And on March 14, 1988, Vietnam lost a sea skirmish with Chinese naval forces, consolidating Beijing's control over several of the Spratly Islands. You can guess which commemoration won more attention in Vietnam. Yes, the latter. Sorry, tankies. And also that month, March 2018, the USS Carl Vinson nuclear-powered aircraft carrier 
patrolled the contested waters, taking part in an anti-submarine drill with Japanese forces, and visiting Vietnam with its 5,000-strong crew, the largest such U.S. military presence there since the Vietnam War ended in 1975. And meanwhile, Xi Jinping has certainly followed through on plans to modernize the PLA just last week, July 6th, 2023. He visited the PLA's Eastern Theater Command in Jiangsu Province and gave a bellicose speech emphasizing war preparedness, quote-unquote, and especially safeguarding Chinese maritime rights. I should note that there is a nomenclature dispute about the entire greater region, with China calling it the Asia-Pacific and the U.S. now calling it the Indo-Pacific in a little nod to India as China's regional rival. And there are obviously contradictory centrifugal and centripetal tendencies at work in the Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific region, as in the world generally. In the prior, the centrifugal, a contest between Washington and Beijing for primacy. In the latter, the centripetal, an interdependency in which the U.S. needs access to cheap Chinese labor, and China needs access to the U.S. market in order for both to stave off economic collapse. A slightly more civilized version of the mutually assured destruction of the last Cold War, but clearly the centrifugal tendency increasingly holds sway, which makes the brinkmanship in the South China Sea so dangerous. Now, having dissected the geopolitics, I should make clear that I advocate a strong critique of the very notion of geopolitics. The tankies and their supposed enemies, the Beltway elites obsessed with maintaining U.S. global primacy, are obsessed with geopolitics. Now, it is certainly critical to have a sophisticated sense of what the geopolitical agendas of a given situation are, but it shouldn't be the prism through which we view the world, as it is for the tankies and the authors of U.S. global primacy. Our first concern should be with the people on the ground who are fighting for land, freedom, autonomy, and meaningful democracy, regardless of the great power intrigues. So let's take a look at what's been going on in Vietnam over the past years. First, free trade has advanced, but free speech has retreated. Surprise, surprise. The European Council announced on June 19th, 2019, that it had approved the European Union-Vietnam Free Trade Agreement, EVTA, and the EU-Vietnam Investment Protection Agreement, EVIPA, 
both to be formally signed imminently in Hanoi. Evta and Evipa were hailed as the most ambitious agreements concluded between the EU and a developing country. Under EFTA, upwards of 99% of tariffs on goods from both sides were to be lifted. The deals were approved just two weeks after a Vietnamese environmental activist was sentenced to six years in prison for anti-state Facebook posts. Goyen Gak An, a shrimp farming engineer, was accused of writing posts that urged people to take part in peaceful protests over corporate pollution. The post especially noted the Formosa plastics disaster in 2016, in which a Taiwanese-owned steel plant dumped toxic waste into the ocean off the coast of central Vietnam, killing millions of fish. Vietnam's government accused Facebook of violating a draconian new cybersecurity law by allowing the post. This was just the first of several such cases. On January 5th, 2021, a court in Vietnam sentenced three freelance journalists known for their criticism of the government to between 11 and 15 years in prison. The three were prominent members of the Independent Journalist Association of Vietnam. They were convicted of anti-state propaganda under Article 117 of the Penal Code, which punishes, quote, making, storing, spreading information, materials, or items for the purpose of opposing the state of the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, end quote. This is a charge that is often used to silent government critics, despite the fact that it contradicts Article 25 of Vietnam's Constitution, which protects press freedom. In November of that year, 2021, five journalists affiliated with the popular Facebook group Bao Sach Clean Journalism were sentenced to between two and four and a half years for anti-state propaganda, quote-unquote. In June 2022, Vietnamese activist Goyen Thoi Han, founder of the Green Innovation and Development Center and Vietnam's first recipient of the Goldman Environmental Prize, was sentenced to two years imprisonment on charges of tax evasion. Goyen was among several journalists and activists who were thusly charged blatantly in retaliation for their dissent over the government's energy policies, particularly its heavy reliance on coal for electric generation. And in April of this year, 2023, trial opened in the case of Vietnamese journalist and activist Goyen Lan Thang on charges of anti-state propaganda. After he was arrested in July 2022 for his reporting on protests and human rights violations, Goyen faces up to 12 years in prison in relation to 12 videos he posted on his social media accounts. Goyen also has a long history of peaceful activism, 
protesting against the expansion of Chinese influence, land confiscation, and the erosion of civil liberties in Vietnam. Vietnamese authorities had previously subjected Nguyen to arbitrary detentions, travel bans, and harassment. Goyen's trial will be held in a closed court session with only his wife and lawyer able to attend, and authorities only permitted Goyen to meet with his lawyer in February, over seven months after his initial detention. And just on May 12th of this year, the People's Court of Ho Chi Minh City sentenced political activist Tran Van Bang to eight years in prison and three years of probation for anti-state propaganda. The sentence came just hours after Human Rights Watch called upon Vietnamese authorities to drop all charges against Tran Van Bang, who again was charged in relation to social media posts, including one calling for a boycott of the Vietnamese National Assembly elections. And just last month, June 2nd, the UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights stated that it is deeply troubled, quote-unquote, by the detention of environmentalist and human rights defender Huang Thi Min Hong in Ho Chi Minh City, Huang is known for her activities in the fight against climate change, including bringing the Earth Hour initiative to raise awareness about personal and social ecological footprint to Vietnam. Huang is the fifth prominent environmental or human rights activist arrested in Vietnam for alleged tax evasion in the last two years. So these facts are rather a rebuke to both the neoliberals and the tankies, who paradoxically think they hate each other, but share illusions about the whole thing. Contrary to the illusions of the more deluded, as opposed to cynical, neoliberals, free trade does not automatically mean democratization. And contrary to the carefully cultivated illusions of the tankies, either the ones they themselves suffer from or the ones they are cynically selling to the rest of us, Vietnam is a capitalist and no longer socialist dictatorship, which engages in repression to protect the interests of foreign capital in the country and is actually looking to the U.S. and the West for protection against regional hegemon China. Vietnam's current tilt to Washington is certainly, and very, very obviously, an historical irony. But it is a reaction to a resurgent China treating Southeast Asia as a backyard, just as Nicaragua tilted to the Soviets in the 1980s, and now again to Russia today, in response to the U.S. treating Central America as a backyard. The saber-rattling on both sides is pathological and to be opposed. If the CNN report about the near skirmish in April 2015 is to be believed, social media users in China reacted by waxing bellicose in support of their government, 
Much as commentators on Fox News were spewing the predictable xenophobic jingoistic swill, it would be nice to find some anti-war dissidents in China who oppose their government's expansionism and loan them some support, just like the Vietnamese environmentalist dissidents. Instead, we can trust the tankies, who are increasingly hegemonic in the stateside left, to uncritically rally around the Beijing regime, which is utterly unhelpful. We, here at the Counter Vortex, continue to say that the real progressive demand is that all sides stop their dangerous brinkmanship and that China, Vietnam, and the Philippines alike leave the South China Sea oil fields alone. Risking world war for the privilege of spewing more carbon into the atmosphere? Really? No thanks. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex special Barbie edition. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Please just throw us a buck or two a week to keep this voice alive. Patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.